we begin in the middle of a range of mountains, secluded from the rest of the north. Snow falls there just like any other place, and yet the land is more rife with life, with animals and plants than any of the other areas of the north in this season. The buildings here are strange, built out of ice and stone combined, very much different from the human construction that's seen in the rest of the land. And it's here where we find our first of our adventurers, if you would call them that. A young winter elf by the name of Sorsha. You find yourself stood in one of the antechambers outside of the elders of your clan's area. You're alone and it's cold. Your tutor, your teacher, left hours before and you found signs that they would not be coming back. You reported this to your elders and they've left you in the room outside whilst they chatter and talk, whilst they bicker. How do you feel about this, Sorsha? I think we see Sorsha is not standing still. She's pacing the space of the doorway, one ear pricked to listen to catch any sound that comes out, try to catch any, any word, any scrap of a sentence that might give her a clue of what they're talking about in there or any sign that they're making some sort of progress. And all the while, she's sort of muttering to herself, just sort of rubbing her arms for warmth a little bit. How can it possibly take them this long to make a decision? This is an emergency. I don't understand. Maybe I should go in. Maybe I should knock. Is that... No, they're going to get mad at me if I do that. And it's as you think that they're going to get mad at you. Could you give me a quick notice check, please? With the two, you strain to hear what's being said, but all you can hear is the distant murmuring of the elders still speaking. It's been a while now. You're getting impatient. And it's just as that impatience starts to hit the pinnacle where you may snap and do something rash, but the door opens. Finally! Well? One of the elders, a female winter elf with long white hair that reaches down past their stomach. Whilst they are elder, no wrinkles on their face and very cold blue eyes looks over to you. You know their name. It's simply Anaril. And as they look at you, they look slightly saddened, but then their gaze becomes steely. You're not going to like what they've said, but I suggest you sit down and we'll talk about this. Sit down, there's no time for that. What, what did they say? You have all the time in the world. You're one of us. You aren't exactly going to pass away from age like the mortals do. Take a seat, Sorsha. It'll get you to talk, then fine. And she quickly finds a spot and sits down. Well? You sit down, and the elder walks over looks down at you. What you saw out there, you'll forget it. Your teacher went out and found something that they shouldn't. You're not to tell any of the others, you hear. You keep it to yourself for the better of all of us. If any of the other elders to find out about this, they wouldn't. They wouldn't be happy with what is to come. We need to keep together. We need to be as one. You understand that, Sorsha? There's several stops and starts and 
half sounds that she makes all along the way trying to find words to interrupt with, but she's sort of rendered speechless and just the, the rug has been completely pulled from under her at this news that she she was hoping for action, not put it aside, forget it. That, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't have what? to make sense, love. What Listen. Is, I can't just leave him like that. You'll forget it. No, I won't. How am I supposed to forget that? We have to help them. One day, ten years from now, twenty years from now, you'll know how silly this was. Silly? He's gone. He is gone. You understand. Tell me you understand, Sasha. She says, looking at you though, it's same steely gaze. She's looking back, violet eyes flashing with anger. And there's a, a long moment where it looks like she's about to bite back again and start to argue again. And then her lips sort of starts to quiver and her eyes get a little glassy. I understand. That's a good girl. Now you go back to your evening. We have much to discuss. The humans are having their festival again in air, so we need to send some things over to them. Get some good rest, okay? Yes, lady. And with this, she turns and walks back into the chamber, leaving you alone in there. And as the doors slam, we'll cut over to another place. Karis, it's a cold, almost winter day. You're stood outside of your house that has been your home for as long as you remember. The usual headsman's block and the gallows off to your right of your house. The small constructed hut that you and your father stay in ever since your mother and brother, well, passed away. And it's on this day as you stand there with your bags packed, with your headsman's axe on your back strapped tightly to you, that your father, the large noble man, big of beard with grey stripes in it by this age, bald head, Vallis Bleakburn, the executioner for many years, looks down at you with a slight glassy look in his eye and speaks. You know why we're doing this, don't you? I know it's not what you want. I know you haven't met him, but you need to marry him. You're not going to find another husband otherwise. Yeah, I know. That doesn't mean I have to be happy about it. I know, but he's a good lad, I've heard. You know, the Black Axe clan, they, they're powerful. They could do a lot for you, for me, for us, for our entire clan. We can't afford to piss him off. I know it's, I know it's a big ask, Karis. I don't like to do this to you, but I'll treat you right. And it ain't like you can marry any of the other clansmen. You know how they look at us executioners. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's fine. We've heard good things about him, so it's... I can't be helped. Aye. I don't like to send you out alone like this. You know if I could, I'd, I'd send any of the lads I could, but... I'll be fine. No one's going to mess with me with these. She holds up her hands, which have brands in the back of a bleeding eye. <laughs> Simple of executioners. And as you look at those bleeding eye brands on the back of your hands, the eye of Einar, the sacred beast, the bear that heralds death and those who cross over. You remember the sound of the axe hitting the wood after taking a head. You remember the heads rolling each time. 
So much so that you decided to implement a basket which seems to have helped with the rolling somewhat, but the blood is rife with your family. And you remember the way that they all look at you, the other members of your clan, with suspicion in their eye, with slight fear, sometimes disgust. But then, when your job is to execute those who could even be your neighbor, it's expected. The cold wind brushes you once again, and your father looks at you still trying to keep it together, keeping that veneer of toughness, of almost him being immovable like a boulder. You'll be safe on your road. If anyone messes with you, you've got your axe. I'll be fine, Da. I can't help but worry. It'll only be a, a week or two at most. I'll keep you to that. And if not, send a letter or something. Anything. I'll send something back. I will. Well, you run along then. And remember, straight there. Road to the west. Keep on it. If you have any problems, seek out one of the dusk runners. They'll see to you. I... Alright. Come here. She'll give him a hug. And as you do, the massive bear of a man almost melts into your hug as he rests his head on your shoulder and pulls you in for a loving hug. I'll be there and back before you know it. Be safe, he says. And you know that the words, I love you, don't come easy to the man. And he doesn't say them, but you feel it. And he pulls back. You be on your way. And he turns and walks back into the house. She will stand a second, watching him walk back in, making sure he gets all the way to the house and doesn't linger. She'll turn, pick up her satchel, and head down the road. And as you head down that road, the snow and the cold wind hitting you, across the way, miles away from this event, this farewell between a father and daughter, we find someone who's had not many parents in their life alone. Alfred, you find yourself, as always, in the cold snows, your cloak keeping you warm, the familiar panting of your companion, your direwolf, to your side. But today isn't a good day. You're on the hunt. There's been some disturbances in these areas. You found dead animals. Most of their skin and meat peeled off of them, but not in the way of a human or even an animal you know. Meticulous, but not done with any blade that you know of. Your wolf didn't seem to like the smell of it either. It's been an hour of tracking this thing and you've had little progress, but you found a trail. Some blood that seems to lead deeper into a forest nearby. He will um, look at his dire wolf, Kriegsgolder, who always waits for uh, a cue from Alfred. And uh, with just a flick of his storm gray eyes, Kriegsgolder kind of runs out and around, basically, in a circuitous route, and Alfred will begin following the trail. Brilliant. And could you give me a very quick survival check? And this is in the wild? This is in the wild. On your nine, you pick up the trail easy. It's been eluding you so far, but this new trail, this is better. Snow's white, blood's red. Stands out. And the scent that your companion picks up is easy enough. And you begin to follow. As I do that, I'm going to go ahead and pull out Biter, my mace. Basically like three wolf's heads back to back. With their mouths wide open. 
and all teeth jagged at the ready as the trail has grown hot. And you pull out by to the weight in your hand, familiar, the wolf head still standing out, very stark in its design, specially made. You begin to make your way across, tracking meticulously. Slowly, perhaps for you, but quick for most people. The dusk runners there, known for them knowing of the roads. And you know this one. You make your way towards the forest, and you wind through trees, through snow, for what feels like an hour before you come across something. But it ain't an animal. It's a human. What looks to be a young man, maybe of only 17. Or it was. You look over the body, and it seems to have had part of its flesh scraped off the bone. Almost like a large claw, but something longer than it should be. But the more disturbing thing that you see is the face is missing, peeled off. Could you give me a quick investigation check, please? On a four, that's a success as you kneel in. You take a peek over the body and look at the wounds, the scraping. It's almost like it hasn't even touched the bone, but it's sliced it clean. And you get a smell, not just of iron, of blood, but of sulfur. Uh, At that, he will kind of screw up his face a bit. Um, He hasn't been on the road long. He fights back the unexpected feeling of, like, revulsion, and, and he feels a bit nauseous for a second, but... Being one that's always had an affinity for natures and animals, he's used to seeing slaughtered both beasts and he's seen men also, but this, the oddity of this, the uniqueness of it kind of caught him off guard. At that, he um, starts to think back and trying to think of something, anything that would have sulfur. Common knowledge will do for this if you want to roll me a common knowledge. Anything about stories or anything about what you've studied. Yeah, with the, uh, the particular way of dismemberment and the fact that these whatever slicing these things can slice through bone without breaking it that's that's power and speed and grace it is uh holy crap on a 10 with a raise you have a think and you think about stories of these sorts of things and for a moment they don't come to you but then you remember stories from the person who trained you as a dusk runner. You remember him speaking of monsters, of fiendish things from beyond the mountains, terrifying things that are unspeakable. He spoke of a time around, maybe about 30 years ago, that he saw a similar thing. He said there were creatures out there who would steal the face of a man. Where it coming? One of the biggest of these legends was a particular scary story of the North, one that many tell each other is a sort of boogeyman almost, of somebody by the name of Balder the Faceless. But this seems more savage than that. And the idea of a fiend is a, well, it's an outlandish idea. This power, this grace, whatever made this, is definitely a killer of people, not of just animals. And it didn't need it. So it ain't food. He kind of shudders at that, and I'm going to do, unless it's, it was all part of the investigation, uh, go ahead and move the body of this, this person, 
whoever they are, uh, look for any kind of distinguishing features, marks, and make a note of it just to inform someone uh, when I get to the next town. So, you do see something significant as you move them over the hand. Still has a ring on it. As you move it off, you see the two hammers. In the center of those two hammers on this ring is a pickaxe. This is troubling and also somewhat relieving. You know where this person came from, but they're important. They're from a place called Air, a mining town further up the northeast of where you are, along this road. There's a festival coming, one of the winter. To herald in the turning of it into the coldest season and to let people celebrate before it comes upon them. And this ring, it's made of platinum, a noble, or at least the closest to it that you have in the north. So a rich person. At this point, it's 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 not like full winter, right? Not quite. Okay, so that means the ground the ground is still a little is a little soft. It is. So he'll go ahead and pull out biter. Uh, we'll first start with his dagger, stabbing at the ground to loosen it up, and then using biter to kind of scoop it out. Because he'll go ahead and bury uh, this person in at least a shallow grave. He can't stop what will come for him later, you know, the carrion. But at least he can give this person the dignity. After he buries him, Krieg will come up expecting to be able to leave now. Is probably growing a little impatient being on guard duty. And uh, I'll go ahead and just put the ring on whichever finger it fits. I mean, I'm, if this was a minor, I'm sure he's maybe a bit stockier and... and my kind of elven heritage and just general build is a little bit more slight. Yeah, so lucky for you, this individual seems to have been more one of the people benefiting from the mining than the one doing it, and the ring slips on like a glove. Okay. I'll go ahead and uh, slip that on and then put my glove on over it so it's not uh, visible. But he will uh, take a moment uh, at the grave to whoever this is. I'm sorry that I could not save you, but I will avenge you. And then he'll turn and begin heading towards this town of Air in the festival. And as you do, one of you has not yet started on their journey, has been stuck in a place surrounded by mountains, the cold air, the elders always vying, always arguing. And we finally come back to Sorsha. You walk out of the room. You walk out of the antechamber and into the cold air outside. The moon atop, shining a silver light upon the village. Beautiful in how it shines and glitters at this time of night with the ice. Makes up part of your construction process. But there's a fire that's been lit in you. What do you do? <sighs> I think she walks all that way out. Sort of stops for a moment and... Uh, is heedless of anyone that may or may not be passing by. And there's a very long moment where she's just sort of standing in the cold, eyes scanning about every direction, trying to look in any direction as if it might have an answer, as her vision blurs and makes it all hard to see. But she quickly scrubs any tears that even try to make their escape away from her face and just sort of angrily dashes them off of her face. Then she starts walking again, not even really thinking about the direction, and finds her way back home. At a bit of a ground-eating pace, she is moving pretty quickly in that don't-talk-to-me <laughs> kind of pace. Like, she's got somewhere to be and something to do. 
She makes her way to her house. Her older sister and her partner are gone on business, which is probably typical for this time of year. She just sort of pushes the door in and shuts behind her and settles at the table for a moment, looking around, observing things, almost as if it might be the last time. There's sort of a a reluctance and a finality to the way she just lets her eyes linger on all of the commonplace things in the home, the utensils, a few decorations that are definitely her sister's taste and not hers. You remember your sister speaking excitedly of leaving this place, seeing what the humans have out there, seeing what the world's like, and that fire doesn't lessen. They won't look for him. You know he should be alive. He's not dead. He couldn't be dead. Your trainer would never die so easy. And yet they're stood there, ignoring you, underestimating you. And this empty house feels all that more empty. She heaves a bit of a sigh and squares her shoulders. Well, if they're not going to go looking, then I have to. This has been Tales from a Hollow World. The narrator is played by Hollow Tail. Karis is played by Laugh Love Lindy. Sorsha is played by Little Cup of Joe. Alfred is played by Pruitt. Composition and musical arrangement by Callan Evans. And editing by Joe M. <laughs>